0: hello and welcome to episode 31 of beekeeping at five apple farm this is lee thank you so much for joining me i just wanted to give a quick hello after i've returned from the state conference tell you a few things about stuff i heard or saw there Um, that was the north carolina state bee association and it's the summer Uh, Meeting. They have two meetings a year, one in the spring and one in the summer. This one was in Hickory, North Carolina. And I believe the spring conference is going to be in New Bern on the coast in the spring. And then I heard, I don't know if this is official, but I heard uh, that the summer conference next year is going to be somewhere here in western North Carolina, which would be very easy to get to, and I would love that. I really enjoy going to conferences. I always learn something. Um, this one, I was nervous because, as you guys know, I was ready to take the uh, journeyman test, and I did uh, take it. Felt pretty good about it, the past practical portion, um, but the written portion, we don't know if we passed until a few weeks, which is, it's very hard, it turns out. I didn't know I would be anticipating it so much um, but yesterday I got a I saw a call on my cell phone from a number I didn't recognize and it was from Hickory North Carolina and I was like oh my gosh you know they've they've graded them early and they're calling to tell me but no it was a robo (laughs) call about my car warranty I was so disappointed and then I realized that I don't think any of the the master beekeeper committee the people who call you and tell you how you did I don't think any of them actually live in Hickory so I felt silly after that I had to text a friend and tell her how eagerly and it was so funny uh, she's waiting on results from the master's exam and um, she had gotten a call the day before from Hickory also about her car warranty and uh, it was very funny we were laughing about that so um, the the practical was I think the most fun um, they for the journeyman portion the North Carolina State has a book of a uh, topics it's a big binder and you pick out your topics there's about i think there's about eight or nine potential topics and then you choose five to test on and you need to pass at least four of them and uh, they range everything from beekeeping equipment which I felt really lucky because a lot of it had to do with queen rearing. (laughs) And so that's the thing I love the most. And so I felt just right in the middle of my favorite thing there. There was actually a lot of stuff on queen rearing. And a friend of mine who's about to take the test out in the California uh, journey level test, as they call it out there, um, She was talking about how she was worried about that because she had not done that much uh, queen rearing yet. And so if you're going to sit for these tests, really study up on the classic queen rearing, the um, grafting tools, and some of the methods, um, other sections of the practical. And all of this information is on the North Carolina State Beekeepers Association. Anybody in North Carolina, I would just no matter what happens to me on my test (laughs) i would really encourage you to go through this process because the first level is the certified beekeeping and i kind of wish it had a different name in a way because i don't know certified beekeeper makes it sound like you definitely know beekeeping some and while you do know the um, book learning as they call it on Um, at that level, you you don't really, I think they ask you that you've kept bees for a year, but I don't know how hard and fast that is. But anyway, I've heard of people just like going through bee school and then immediately going for the test, you know, while all the stuff is fresh in your head. And I don't know, that seems like a loophole to me. I really think you should spend some time, in my opinion, uh, with the bees. Before you do any of this testing, because it's only real when you've actually used it. Um, and, but, um, but anyway, the certified level uh, is a test and a practical. Now that practical is a hands-on. And you do it with a proctor, and some of the topics are like, can you light a smoker and keep it lit? And you'll love this. When I took the certified test, I'd already kept bees for years, but I was so nervous. I'm like, wouldn't this be the time that I can't light a smoker? You know, when I'm trying to do it for to never mind that I have done it for <laughs> eight years now. But um, so there's some practical stuff, and you have to in a real actual beehive, you have to identify different you know, the different uh, types of brood and what you're seeing and pollen and capped honey and that type thing, which are really uh, core skills. It's good to me for folks to give a shot at that certified test um, because it will let you know if there's stuff you don't know. And, And there's no you know, no harm, no foul on taking these tests. Most of the, uh, you'll see notification in the state beekeepers association of where they're given. Your local club may give the testing and it, it doesn't cost anything if you're a member of the state association. So you can just kind of give yourself a little jeopardy quiz and and see if there's areas that, that you don't know. And it's, it's pretty fun to, um, regardless of what happens to kind of find out, uh, the areas in the study. The study in is what to me was, was the most fun, I know, geek, but it's, it is uh, enjoyable because even things that you think you know about pretty well, when you dive down into the literature on it, it just gets more and more fascinating the deeper you go. And things that you, what I find particularly fun is the things that you've seen in real life and then you read this kind of technical literature and you're like, oh my gosh, that's what I was seeing. That's how that works. That's why that was going on. And it's, it's really fun to challenge yourself um, on that. And you don't have to tell anybody you're taking it. <laughs> in fact, me and my friend who took the certified, we didn't tell anybody. We were driving down there to take it just in case. And um, we we had to go to a a different club because the timing wasn't right on ours. So it was very funny. I felt like, you know, sneaking off to take this test. And now, of course, I told all you guys that I was taking the journeyman test. So it's going to be pretty embarrassing if I didn't pass. But, um, again, I encourage everybody to just give it a shot. Whatever state you're in, find out. what the level is now I have heard in Georgia for you folks in Georgia and I'm always given the Georgia package producers trouble not for people in Georgia but for people in North Carolina um, <laughs> so uh, the, I've heard that the Georgia testing series is particularly challenging and so I do know there's quite a bit of variation between the states um, there's also the Eastern Apiculture Society I learned this from uh, Kevin England over on the Beekeeping Corners podcast, um, which I'm looking for another episode, Kevin. I know you're not listening, but I wish he would make a fresh episode. I always, those are my favorite to listen to on the way to work. And in the summer, he's often busy with his club and doesn't um, make them as often. Uh, But anyway, he is a Eastern Apiculture um, Society or Association Master Beekeeper and I think that's all I think that's all they offer it's like you don't even test until you go for the master's and I have heard it is incredibly difficult Um, and so I'm not going for that one the next one if I pass this one um, and then um, in North Carolina you have to do a bunch of um, not a bunch but so a certain amount of public service credits for each level to uh, test it and so I believe for the journeyman it's five um, public service credits and and I have to say I, I had a cheater advantage here and that is my wonderfully uh, studious and well-organized friend who is uh, did the journeyman recently in in my club and, and passed it she is a journeyman beekeeper now Deborah yay um, she made a list of her public service credits and here's my cheater aspect is I almost all of those I did with her (laughs) so I can look at her list and get the dates and all that kind of stuff and I mean I'll have all that deep in my gmail somewhere but um so Deborah, I'm really gonna I'm getting lucky because you shared your list of public service credits and so I can pick out the ones that I did with you and uh and list those but so that's my plug for the whole um state uh certified journeyman master and then it actually goes to master craftsman i don't know it i don't know any master craftsman beekeepers i know a few um master beekeepers i may know another one soon we'll find out but um highly recommend it it's really fun i did some of the readings here on the uh, podcast and there's a, a few there's one actually from last week that i have to continue um, with you so definitely check that out Now, the speakers at the North Carolina State Conference really vary from year to year and meeting to meeting. It depends somewhat on which uh, club groups are organizing that particular conference. And it also depends on what speakers are available. Um, I think we, we didn't have like any of the bigger name speakers at this conference and part of that is because they were pretty much all here just like last month because the eastern apiculture was down in um, South Carolina I think in Greenville South Carolina I didn't go to that one because I knew I had to go to this one I could only take time off work to go to one I did hear that the next eastern apiculture is going to be up in Maine next year and oh I would love I love to go to Maine and that would be so fun um, to go up there I don't know if I can manage it but boy it would be a dream so one of the um, main stage speaker series I will say the the tendency for this particular conference this time seemed to be that the main stage speakers were very university research based you know some of it's interesting to listen to some of it's like i'm not sure how this applies but you um i always listen to those because it's pretty fascinating you'll hear it from a stage at a conference and then a few years later you start to see it come out in the b magazines as to how to uh, apply that how that impacts actual practice so one of the main stage research presentations was from the husband and wife doctoral research team that works for strong microbials. And that's, you know, you always have to pause when the company that sells the product is giving the talk. (laughs) But the reason I got really excited about this one is because as an RN, um, everything they were talking about with the microbials, meaning kind of the, the probiotic gut population of honeybee, was meshing incredibly with the whole human situation, which I'm much more familiar with uh, as a nurse, the as you probably know, um, in recent years there's been a lot more attention to the diversity of the microbes that live in your gut. Um, this is the the human gut that it's associated with health. There's an association between the um, the gut microbes and depression. In particular, the one you unfortunately hear about a lot is uh, people going into the hospital with what they call C. Diff, which is uh, Clostridium difficile. I think is the uh, full name, but you'll hear it referred to as C. Diff, and that's this just nasty, awful gut bug uh, that people can get, particularly if they've been expo- if they've had to take a lot of antibiotics. So if you've had some type of um, serious infection, you had to take a ton of antibiotics, well, it kills off all the normal, healthy bacteria in your gut, which leaves an open field for the nasty bugs, um, if there are any around, which most, you know, well, in any microbial population, you're going to have a few of the nasties, and if you wipe out the, the nice ones that help us digest our food and keep our gut healthy and all that, then the nasty ones, um, reproduce and fill up that empty space (laughs) that's the very non-scientific explanation but uh, descriptive and real based in my uh, both uh, nursing school and um, in farming interestingly this is a big thing microbial population of farm animals is a big deal and now um, the microbial issues with honeybees so in people going back to the c diff um, younger people can get it if they've been if they've had to take a lot of antibiotics for some other reason, but also I am seeing more and more elderly people uh, be absolutely debilitated by C diff because it it gives a person uh, chronic and unstoppable diarrhea and so it's very weakening you know anytime you have chronic diarrhea then you're you're not getting the nutrition out of your food um, and so that weakens the whole body it also keeps you from getting the very nutrients that you would need to heal from whatever's going on with you so it's this terrible uh, downward spiral and there um, as a nurse there are you see it every single day on the hospital units people there for that reason and it's very difficult to repopulate the gut uh, from from the from the top <laughs> from the mouth because the stomach is designed to kill off bacteria that might hurt us. But if we're trying to repopulate um, the intestines, which are 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 below the stomach, it's hard to get it past. So in humans, like if you're not you know dealing with one of these awful diseases, just for uh, human health maintenance. I have been a proponent for many years, um, and my family will be chuckling about this because they know this is a pet topic of mine, about taking a high quality antibiotic. I mean, not antibiotic, no, 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 (laughs) a high quality probiotic, which is the, basically the bacteria. And what, by high quality, if you get a good brand, uh, it's really worth going to, um, a, a good store. Sometimes they're refrigerated to keep the little microbes, uh, you know alive and then also the other big key for human is to to get it enteric coated which is the coating that allows it to pass through kind of protected through the stomach and get down to the gut where you're trying to populate the gut and and then from a human health perspective the other things that our ancestors used to do a lot of that we don't do as much are the fermented foods you remember your grandma's sauerkraut <laughs> and buttermilk my grandma used to drink buttermilk all these things that people don't do a lot of anymore um, well those things had a lot of bacteria good bacteria in them and they kept our guts uh, populated with healthy bacteria so that the unhealthy bacteria didn't have that wide open field Well, so imagine my surprise when I go to a bee conference, and there's all this research on that exact same process. You know, different organs and different things, but the similar process going on with honeybees. um, That basically their their gut microbes, which should be this very diverse population of uh, microbes. And the researchers were talking about, you know, how they had to figure out, you know, what is natural for a bee's gut what are the natural um, microbials that are living in there and helping them digest their food and fend off uh, illnesses and so to get that they had to try to find uh, honeybee populations that were not exposed to the chemicals of the modern world which as you can imagine is a real challenge because so many of the things that we're exposed to just by living in uh, the modern world cities the the food we eat now is detrimental to those microbes that live in your gut, and I got interested in this um, years ago when I read a book by a Harvard physician talking about when they had tested the gut microbes in humans uh, from Aboriginal peoples like in um, you know South America and Africa, people who lived, they were hunter-gatherer type people who lived very close to the land, not exposed to any modern day stuff. This would be more like our, you know, great-grandparents were living. And when they tested their gut, you know, they would have 20 and 30 different types of uh, healthy bacteria uh, living in their guts and when you test the typical american there's 3 or 4 and the problem with this and this was the connection that fascinated me in humans is that whatever you feed your whatever you feed yourself then you're also feeding those bacteria in your gut so if there's a bacteria i'm just going to make this up and this is not you know if there's a bacteria in there that is uh, very good at breaking down collards and turnip greens and you don't eat Any collards and turnip greens, well, there those particular bacteria will die off, and so next time you eat collards and turnip greens, they may not sit so well on your stomach because, uh, on your in your gut because you don't have the the microbes to break those things down, and, I mean, yeah, I could just go into this, but I I see this in elderly folks a lot who have, you know, gotten to where they eat a lot of very, very cooked cooked food because they can't digest. you know things that they liked in their younger years, and there's there's a whole another digestive enzyme component to that. But anyway, I'm getting way off. I'm getting into my um, more my day job interest. But the connection with bees is that that they find the same thing. If you test the gut microbes in honeybees like in wild areas truly you know wild areas of course there's no wild honeybees they'd be feral but they're living in wild natural environments and not exposed to a lot of uh, chemicals and not fed artificially then they will have a very diverse uh, gut microbial list and it might be 12 or 13 they listed all the names of them that they had you know located so far uh, in bees in natural areas and then if you test bees particularly in commercial settings um, or urban settings, then they only have a handful of of different types of uh, gut bacteria. And then, of all things, at this bee conference, and of course I'm just texting my friends at home who are just baffled why I'm so excited, but this this piece of information that I just have, I haven't been able to get out of, uh, I mean, I would ask the doctors at, at the hospital at work, you know, why, why are we seeing so, um, much of, of, of C diff when, um, you know, just why are we seeing so much of it? Why is it increasing? And I could not get a satisfactory answer. I mean, obviously, you know, we have more powerful antibiotics and also we have more powerful, you know, bugs. And so they're using the more powerful antibiotics, which wipes out your gut microbe more thoroughly. But, um, and let me be clear, if you've got a bad infection, you need those antibiotics, but you also, in my opinion, need to, you know, tend to replenishing your, what do they call them, your your, your tiny microscopic herds that live in your gut and without which you can't live. Um, so the human physicians that happened to walk by me that I would quiz had not been able to give me a satisfying answer on what was happening to so many folks um gut microbes you know folks that didn't have a history of being exposed to you know uh, tons of antibiotics well i feel like i found one of my answers at the b conference and that was the researchers just as an aside it wasn't even their body of research they were uh, showing work from a, a, a different university researcher on the effects of uh, roundup or gl- glycosec what is it Glyco. well you know roundup the ingredient in roundup on bees and it's a really tricky one because if you read the research again which all this research we have to kind of look at critically because it's funded you know not by like a neutral research organization now anymore used to things were more funded uh, by the government but we've let companies take over this research which um is the downside is a lot of times they're having a product that they want to get to market and so they fund the research that will mean the yes or no of them getting to market this you know these billion dollar products and well <laughs> I just ask myself hmm, could that have any impact on the research but anyway that's another topic um, so the they were quoting another researcher about they were looking at the effects of uh, honeybees being exposed to roundup ready crops which of course is the majority anything that's not organic that's grown in this country is usually exposed to roundup or one of its cousins and um the and and it's tricky because it's usually not overtly toxic now i have seen uh beekeepers that did had their bees tested and um that exposure kind of acute exposure to roundup and possibly something else because you know when they mix these chemicals who knows what's all in there um, you know when a company applies it what was in the tank before that what's in the tank with it what's the spreader that they use all that can really impact the toxicity but um, I have seen that there can be some direct and um, acute effects on the bees navigational ability which if they can't find their way back to the hive they starve so that is an effect but there wasn't like an overt toxic effect you know you could pretty much um, feed it to bees at certain levels and you they didn't die you know right away Um, but that was kind of it in in terms of the research I'd seen but the the researcher at the university that the um, uh, these folks were talking about had seen that roundup had an antibiotic effect on the microbes in the bee's gut and so my brain just lit up like a slot machine at that point because to me that would be an explanation um to my mind not that anybody else cares but um of of why in the hospital i see so many everyday people that are falling to this um uh, C diff bug which g- you generally doesn't affect you if you have a good, strong, healthy um, gut microbe population. So the takeaway to all this, uh, if you care to take anything away, um, for you personally <laughs> I say that uh, probiotics are a good thing and even better you know pro- making probiotic foods a part of your diet, particularly if you have any type of gut issue. But so the connection to the bees is that, um, uh, they are testing out, and according to the speakers for, with strong microbials, they have some good research that backs up that uh, giving honeybees their own little probiotic, which of course they, they do sell, um, can have a positive effect. Now, like us, um, it's not a once, you know, uh, one time deal. Like us, we have to continually replenish that natural um gut population. Now, you know, bees in a more natural setting, and uh, I would l- love to have my bees cultured. I might send some of them into this company just to see what you know if if being out in a national forest um if they have a good diversity of gut microbes. but um, anyway, so now they're selling a powder. And this particular company, which I was pretty impressed with the the depths of their research, is Strong Microbials. They also, I looked at their website, um, have products for all types of farm animals because this has been an issue. If you raise different kinds of farm animals, this has been an issue uh, with them for some time. And again, you might ask, why are the farm animals not having their correct gut, their healthy gut microbes? And when we feed our farm animals, um, you know, conventional feeds, I have to wonder that they've all been exposed to Roundup and their, its relatives, and if that has an effect on the microbials. So, this was like a big light bulb going on in my head uh, outside of my bee life, (laughs) but in my bee life, uh, I picked up a bag, and because you can get it, if you get the multi-dose bags, and, and you can go in with somebody, because I asked the manufacturers you know what's the storage thing and basically it's freeze-dried microbes so it will store um, for if you keep it at room temperature and very important protected from moisture it's a powder it's a very fine powder Um, protected from moisture it will last a long time a years in fact and so a friend and I went in on one of the larger bags uh, to divide it up and um Uh, just keep it protected from from light and from temperature extremes and above all protected from moisture you do apply it dry it's like something like a teaspoon now read the label if you're really doing this but um it's something like a teaspoon per hive you simply sprinkle it on the top bars the bees of course lick it up and that and they get the good microbes in their systems and then of course because you know bees are really in their sharing spit (laughs) um then it gets spread around they say that you know they can see measurable effects in the bees gut microbes for about three months Uh, two or three months is uh, what they see but in particular for the commercial beekeepers and and I think this could apply to the rest of us too anytime your bees are going through stress um, might be a good time for a dose to just kind of beef up uh, their internal protection from illness and with uh, commercial that's prior to moving and also I did note Um, when they're moved to pollinate for example almonds because is this you know this one food source and like we talked about with people (laughs) if you don't eat a lot of different kind of foods you lose the gut microbes and so it would make sense that bees would do that also so you know on one level it's like okay wow okay here's another thing you know to keep your bees in top health it just goes against so many things to go oh i'm going to have to give this extra thing to keep my bees or my body in top health, it shouldn't be that way. You know, we should be able to get all we need from food, and we should be able to have, um, you know, good microbes without getting without buying a product. And I totally agree. We should, but the reality is that the world that most of us live in now it creates physical stresses on people that. Our ancestor did not have to face. Now they faced different physical stress. <laughs> they didn't have antibiotics, so as you know from walking around in a graveyard, the dates on the tombstones, pre-antibiotics, you had a lot of young people, well, all kinds of people that died much earlier than we do now. But now, you know, we have other um, stressors in our on our physical system. So this was pretty fascinating to me. I got uh, pretty excited i mean not you know not so much uh i mean i'm I'm happy to give my bees this you know i don't mind giving my bees a little extra something just because i love them every one and if i was a commercial producer then from a financial interest this would make sense that if i can keep my bees healthier and more alive and more productive uh, economically then it makes sense you know why not it is a you know it's a probiotic so it's it's not a it's not a medicine it's not going to um you know create any kind of resistance like an antibiotic use uh, would and i just have to say up until recently you know um, antibiotics were given prophylactically and just by whoever whenever to the bees um one use would be for um in, in, in Nosema treatment, you know, you'll read in the older books that they just, every spring they get, uh, Fumagillin and, um, there's a couple other, um, antibiotics that they would give as preventative for European fowl brood, which as a nurse just blows my mind because that, you know, that's, you do not use antibiotics as, uh, a preventative <laughs> because things typically, develop resistance to them. And if it hasn't developed resistance, it kind of makes me wonder if it's working anyway. But anyway, that's a whole, a whole different rabbit hole. So if you're interested in giving a little probiotic to your bees, you can check out Strong Microbials. I am not reimbursed to say this. This is just the one um, company that I'm aware of, and I liked what I saw in terms of the research that they had put behind um, making their products. And for your own health, uh, start checking that out. Um, what you might <laughs> feed your gut, your little microbials that are helping you stay alive in your gut. So that kind of blew my mind on how a bee talk uh, solve for me personally. Not, not I'm not talking scientifically or medically, but for me personally, the Roundup effect on the gut microbes was a puzzle piece that was missing in my head because I um, anyway. That just kind of blew my mind. So uh, check that out if you're interested. I suspect we will be seeing more information on the role of uh, of good bacteria and the challenges in keeping the good bacteria going in our bees in the modern world. So I'm going to start wrapping this up here. Thank you so much for uh, staying here to hear my random ramblings about um, what went on at the conference maybe who knows by next podcast I'll have something to tell you on how the journeyman test went but then again they they give themselves 30 days to let you know if you passed or not so it could be a while on the next podcast I'm making myself a note here to talk in depth about prepping your bees for winter one of the Uh, Actually, there were several good presentations there about prepping your bees for winter. And I just want to have an aside since this is the time people are taking off honey. Just remember that the easiest way to feed your bees for winter, and in my opinion, the very best way, is to leave their honey on. Now, new beekeepers, you're gonna wanna leave whatever honey they made on because it's not real honey because you probably had to feed to get them going. And um, and also, if you made splits, you know, then, and if you had to feed, then, of course, that honey is contaminated with, not contaminated, but is mixed with sugar water honey, which is not really honey. So if you fed sugar water at any time, um, during the time, you, you know, you can't take those honey frames and really think it's honey, but, Back to real honey, um, I think Michael Bush <laughs> had the most convincing argument in one of his presentations that I heard online about. You know, he has this whole lazy beekeeper thing, and you know, if you don't need every drop of that of uh, the honey you were planning on taking, then by all means, I mean, in my opinion, the one of the things that has made the most difference in my overwintering survival for my personal bees is uh, letting them overwinter on their natural honey. Um, I don't have any scientific proof, but just from my notes and who survived and who didn't, the bees that had were able to make enough of their honey, now, of course, those were, my, were some good hives. Um, they tend to do better. The other thing, this beekeeper tends to do better because I don't have to mess with trying to get enough pounds of sugar water on there. Of course, commercial beekeepers do this. They take pretty much all the honey and replace it with sugar water feed because they want to sell all the honey and um, if that works for them then that's their choice but uh, to me overwintering on natural honey is the way that nature intended and I just have to say I have seen things on Facebook oh gosh I'm gonna go on a rant but People saying on Facebook, do not let your bees overwinter on honey because it's bad for them, and and my head just explodes. It's like, oh yeah, those millions of years that honeybees got by without us, gosh, what did they do? But no, <laughs> the the thing is, do not feed your bees other people's honey or, God forbid, grocery store honey, um, because it carries all kinds of diseases. But in particular, American brood spores are found in most grocery store honey and and even honey from another beekeeper that you know you respect you don't know what's in that um honey that you could be um you know infecting your bees with so you do not ever use someone else's honey now if you've put aside honey frames from uh to to stash which i do this i stick them in the freezer the deep freeze that my spouse has just given up and let me have um then i if a hive is light I can pull some of those um, frames out Uh, another thing is if you have frames that were exposed to uh, honey frames for example time all the time all treatment is not approved you know for if you've applied with honey frames but I had a friend who had a bunch of honey left over and it was a long story but anyway they had to be exposed to time all to get in the treatment window but she couldn't take off the honey so she had these um, boxes of time all exposed honey which is not a problem for the bees, but you can't, you know, you don't want to eat it because you can taste the thyme all, and then you wouldn't want to, you couldn't sell it because it's contaminated, quote-unquote, but that was perfect honey to let it warm up and put back on the bees, um, so, because that was perfectly fine um, to them, so just think about it, try to, if you can, and I know this is very hard when you're just getting your first honey harvest, you, everybody wants some, and you want to take off as much as possible, and the common thought is, oh, well, you just feed them sugar water, but I will say the more honey of their own, they can have the better, and then from Michael Bush's perspective, it wasn't about that at all, (laughs) I mean, it may have been, but what he was emphasizing is, okay, how much less work, and you have to wonder about this, even with, on a commercial level, um if you count your hours if you figure up the hours you spend um taking honey off you know extracting it selling it all the expense that goes into that and then add in your hours that you've got a mix feed put on feed check feed all that um you have to wonder how much profit was really made when um michael bush pointed out you know that every frame of honey that he can leave on the bees is a frame he doesn't have to worry about trying to get good artificial feed back on the hive. So just keep that in mind. Um, you know, I, I try to go ahead and leave enough honey that, technically speaking, would get them through the winter. Now, the catch is often in the fall dearth, they end up eating up a lot of that, and I have to either put more honey on them, or hopefully, if we get a good ro- goldenrod flow, they put more honey on them. And then, if it's not working, um, I do feed uh, sugar, uh, cane sugar mixed with water, and, um, I, and, and also there's some stuff about, um, making it more acidic with, um, uh, vinegar or citric acid, but anyway, I'll talk about that at some other time, but, um, uh, definitely make sure your bees are not under stress right now, because a lot of places in the country, we are in the dearth, as you can tell from the robbing and I'll talk more about all that, um, helping them in the dearth and getting them ready for winter. Okay, I hope you're all doing well. And thank you so much. If you're still listening, I just appreciate you so much. And I appreciate hearing from every single one of you when you write me on the Facebook page, Five Apple Farm, Bees, Honey, and More. I get, I do get those messages. I am slow to respond. Um, if you email, um, I am at Blue Ridge 714 at Gmail. And actually, there's several of you that I owe... Uh, things from from email so i'm slower on that i'm actually for some reason faster on the uh, facebook messages um anyway thank you so much every person who has left a rating on um, the apple podcast itunes thing i appreciate that because it lets more beekeepers find this podcast have a wonderful few days i hope to talk to you again this weekend but anyway in about a week all right thanks bye